All right, so this morning we're starting a new book. So this study this morning is an an introduction. Um, It's not going to be as admittedly as fun as what we'll start with next week, but some groundwork needs to be laid first before we jump into this study. Um, the, the theme is that of blessing uh, and then how it runs throughout Scripture. Um, so what, what does it mean to be blessed in the Lord? What does it mean? What's one of the goals the author has in helping us understand it? This is a picture of the book. I don't know how well you can read it. Um, the title is Divine Blessing and the fullness of life in the presence of God. So you can gather a lot there just from the title. The author is uh, William Osborne. All right. Everyday blessings. We get, we are, indeed, we are blessed every single day. Whether we realize it or not. And whether we acknowledge it or not. It seems that most often today when we hear someone use this word... And they speak of the blessed life. You're not really sure exactly what they mean. I think often, usually what you hear, especially in our secular culture, it just means that, you know, it's a life of ease. Perhaps a life of success. I have the blessed life. Um, You can hear, you can read of people speak how blessed they are. And it makes me wonder sometimes... um, how many of them, when they say that, are they thinking, why are they announced their blessed state, if you will, if they're thinking of a being or a, a person outside of themselves actually performing the act of blessing upon them? Do they understand the connection of that? A bless or bless e relationship, if you will. As one writer put it, quote, the idea of blessing has been co-opted as a spiritual but not religious key term. It's been ransacked in some ways. Okay? It is safe. It is safe in the current world economy of ideas and thoughts and expressions to declare oneself to be spiritual. You can say, I'm a spiritual person. And, you know, people take that Some people still raise an eyebrow to it, but it's accepted. It alludes, in some ways, to an achievement beyond the ordinary life of just being a consuming human being. I think that's what they're trying to say when they're saying they're a spiritual person. But to declare oneself to be religious, then you might as well just sequester yourself and from being allowed to voice your opinion. To have your words mean anything. Because you are considered outdated, bigoted, probably naive, and even in some areas, immoral. Because all the things that they attach to what they understand religion to be in this post-Christian world. In fact, in this post-Christian world, the word blessing has just about as much solemnity attached to it as the word faith. Isn't that the truth? How the way... Faith is just used by anyone, and faith and faith, whatever that means. 
you know, blessed. It doesn't have a lot attached to it from certainly a biblical worldview perspective. But the way scripture portrays the, the truly blessed man, we believe is something that's worth investigating. And apparently so does the author, William Osborne. Uh, he said that we're going to go through this book, and he states that the purpose of this book is to establish a biblical theological foundation of blessing by presenting, i got a slide on this actually, by presenting a concise biblical theology that leans into how we view ourselves as living blessed lives as citizens of God's kingdom. We wish to understand this from a biblical theological perspective and all that entails. So we're going to be looking at what it truly means to be blessed as portrayed in Scripture. That's what we're going to be looking at. As one reads the Bible, there appears to be a difference also. Maybe you've noticed this yourself, but maybe not so much in the context of blessedness because, you know, Oddly enough, we don't think of it this way, at least not as a, a topic to focus on. But there's a difference sometimes we would understand and looking at the way the Old Testament speaks of, about blessing and the way the New Testament presents the idea. Um, the author, he argue, argues here in his introduction that it is an over-spiritualization to regulate blessings in the Old Testament as physical blessings, and in the New Testament as spiritual blessings. He asks, how do we navigate this transition from divine blessing looking something like cattle and crops to what Paul calls every spiritual blessing in Ephesians 1? You can see Often, when we look at it, blessing the Old Testament, this idea of a physical blessing. And, of course, we understand that through a, a covenant framework and given in the promised land and what it represented. And even talking about what we finished up in Sunday school last week, last week about understanding spiritually what we have in Christ. But... He argues it's an over-spiritualization to just make those categories and stop there. So um, I look forward to him helping us divide that as we walk through the study. There is certainly a transition that takes place within the Bible's presentation of blessing. Uh, a biblical theological approach recognizes that God's blessings, in fact, really have always been both spiritual and physical. In both God's initial plan for creation and our eager anticipation waiting on the new heavens and the new earth, we see these two aspects, the physical and the spiritual, uh, among God's benevolent acts towards us, towards his creatures. We see both of these things. The author he argues and says that divine blessing in the Bible is always physical and spiritual because it's fixed upon the reality of fullness in the life of the presence of God. And I think that's a key thing that we're going to learn as we go through this. In the presence of God, we recognize these things. 
in the presence of God, even though in the midst of turmoil or trials or tribulation, we can have a blessed state. Indeed, we have one always in Christ. We'll unpack that. The message, he says, of this book is that divine blessing in the Bible looks like God's creatures experiencing the fullness of life. Again, both physically and spiritually, in God's presence. The fullness of life. That's what we want, isn't it? The problem is sometimes we define it in unbiblical ways of what fullness of life looks like. Hopefully we can help chip away some of this false understanding that we have living in this culture. You know, the way human beings experience God's blessing, it changes as we go through and see this redemptive storyline being laid out in Scripture from creation to the fall of mankind. Um, God's plan of redemption climaxed in the cross itself and his resurrection. And then this, the final restoration that we look forward to. We see blessing throughout of it. All from the hand of God. Blessing always flows out of God's gracious design. There's purpose in it. There's design in it. And he notes this blessing that flows coincides with obedience to his will. Do we experience blessing, the the warm presence of God, with stiff, arrogant necks? going about our own way, doing whatever we please. No, it's harsh. The Bible speaks about our bones aching and a heaviness that we can't shake off. Well, with that, Osborne, he states the goal to this book is to provide a biblical theology of blessing by examining those references to blessing in the Old and New Testaments. So going throughout the scripture, recognizing not only their literary context, but also their setting in God's plan of redemption. So we're looking at the context and the the immediate context of what's happening in that passage, but always looking and understanding that storyline of redemption that's being built. That's what we get to look forward to. And, And more than anything, the author states that By God's grace, we will understand like never before that to know God's blessing is not just to have all things, but to also have the one who made them. And amen to that. So those are the, the, that's the matter that he's going to cover. That's the the purpose and the goal that we're going to, that the author has for us as we examine this. All right, so. He, he died in the next section here in his introduction. He starts to help us break down um, blessing from a, a biblical perspective. Um, when you start to analyze it and break down, things just pop out. That's how it works. So in this section, he explains how the word blessing can take on different functions in the Bible. Uh, it is the core of what he means. And as we look at these functions... And that's really what he wants to understand now in his introduction, how the, the idea of blessing functions differently in Scripture. So that's what we're going to cover right now. 
Um, he's really taking a minute. He's just looking and gazing at what this word means in Scripture. You know, seeing where it shows up, the context, and, and breaking it down. How does it apply? How does it apply not only to us, but also to God? You know, God blessing people, people blessing God, and people blessing people. Those are the main functions that he's going to use in this study. You know, blessing is something that can happen simultaneously between God and people. You know, as an example, in Second Chronicles, if you recall, Hezekiah, one of the good kings. You can put him in the good king column. Well, he begins his reign. And he wants to restore temple worship in his reign. He wants to bring it back properly. So, among many things that's happening, uh, one of the things is he orders that portions, portions be brought by the people to give to the priests so that they could minister. Well, the priests were being distracted with having to provide for themselves. God had already made a plan that the people would be generous and provide for the priests so they could focus on the ministry. That wasn't happening. So he ordered these portions to be brought. And in Second Chronicles 31, verse 8, we read, When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, the heaps, the, the portions that were donated, that were heaped up, it says they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. God and people can be blessed at the same time. That happens often. The point being made is that the intended meaning of the word blessing, as it is used in Scripture, it's been lost on our culture. Including us, because we're steeped in our culture. We, we have a... Uh, an assemblance of right understanding, but we are impacted by our culture and understanding what this means. Our culture has made the word, again, <coughs> made it so common in our daily vernacular that seeing its use and its intended meaning with biblical lenses, it requires redirection. One of the purposes, again, of this study itself, to be redirected, come away thankful Come away praising God. This is what the author wants to help us to do here. That's what we get to look forward to. Because truly, we are, Christians, we are more blessed than we realize. And maybe, we, maybe hopefully, we'll see this more easily. According to Osborne, there are three general patterns associated with forms of blessing that are important to understand. Certainly important to understand in the context and framework that he's going to build as we go throughout this book over the next several weeks. I hope it will help, help us to see this in, in both testaments, the old and new. Well, first is, um, talks about blessing as an action, to bless as an action, you know, blessing someone. He gives some examples. God blesses creation. God blesses humanity. 
God's doing the acting here on this. God blesses people through other people. Still the source is God. And people bless God. Namely, we praise him. And we don't give to God anything that he doesn't have. He's not lacking in any way. Often we see blessing in that terms of, well, what do we receive? But God receives our praise. That's when scripture speaks of us blessing him. That's what it's talking about. The second thing that he calls out is blessing as a thing. Um, He says that which is conferred by the action of the blessing, like the blessing as a gift, looking at as the gifts or a thing. So he'll talk about that. And then last thing he lists in his formula, if you will, is being blessed as a state of being. And he gives some what he calls formula-like expressions to help us understand that. One is to be blessed, blessed be the Lord. Okay? A state of being, blessed be the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out. Not this morning, but we're going to find out in the study. Um, Also, another expression Blessed is the person who, and you fill in the blank. You can think of Psalm 119. You know, how it talks about it as we go and understand and appreciate the word of God in various ways. We understand how blessed the person is. Blessed is the person who, whatever, you know. And then lastly, the last formula expression is is kind of like a greeting or a gesture. Bless you for such and such. Okay, and it's not the way, you know, a southern mother speaks of their slow to learn child. Bless you, child. You know, we would say it like that sometimes, but to mean it for a good reason. Bless you. And not just for sneezing. All right. Enough of the jokes. Um, There is an interconnection. That's what he's wanting to bring out here. There is an interconnection here in the three uses of blessing as an action. And we're going to address those briefly this morning in the introduction. Uh, But the author, he also reminds us that there are indeed other words used in Scripture that we should also understand mean the same thing as blessing. Uh, Words like favor, okay, or gift, even like multiply. Where could multiply be a blessing? Anyone? Children, indeed. Okay. Though you people that have PTSD from math, you're going, you know. I get it. I understand. Uh, If a person wanted to do a word study on the Bible on the topic of blessings, then he would need to consider words that convey similar meanings. That's what he's wanting us to understand here. So we should expect that the author is going to be doing the same thing as we go throughout and analyze this biblical theme. All right, so the first use from an action perspective, God blesses creation in humanity. God is acting here, doing this. Um, From the very beginning of Scripture, the reader understands God to be the first actor. The first being to take action. You know, he's creating. It is God who first creates and forms and and divides, and yes, bless. He does this. Genesis 1, 22. 
And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. Again, this theme of multiplying. That's the action that's happening is blessing is being realized. Next chapter, Genesis 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Again, God acting here within the context of creation. God's blessing reveals a continuous and repeated aspect of his first creative energies, if you will. We see that run throughout Scripture. God doesn't change. His blessing ensures that what was formed and what was fashioned continues in accordance with his design. That is a blessing that we are not floating off on one day of the earth and you know, weigh a hundred more pounds than we do the next day. You know, this idea of providence as well in nature. This is the providence of God. It's a blessing. God is the fountainhead and the source of all blessings, of all blessings. Um, recently went over this in James. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change these gifts these blessings god is the source our author he notes that god's act of blessing does not just entail the giving of things but it necessitates a right relationship between the two parties, God and his creation. We can see how the fall impacted blessings for sure, right? The, the ground doesn't yield its fruit as it would have before the fall. It's just one example. To be blessed by God is to be in right standing with him. So, as Christians who faithfully profess Christ, we are in right standing with him. And that is a a blessing that is more than we can properly understand, even though we can start and, and have a good understanding of it. You know, God's blessing is experienced by his creatures in two primary categories. And we're going to see this throughout the study. One in creation... The way that's portraying itself in nature in different ways, that got by according to God's providence, and also in, in the, the understanding context of covenant as well. We understand Scripture from a covenantal perspective in terms of God's acting upon humanity and the world. It is in both of these divinely established context that God's creatures come to know him as the God who blesses. Praise him for that. And praise him that he doesn't change. Now his desire, God's desire to bless encompasses all that we are as creatures. Our entire being, both body and soul. 
created for his glory, for his pleasure, and certainly for in we partake in our enjoyment of that. Because that brings glory to God, doesn't it? Enjoying him. Well, the, this is a point the author is going to stress throughout the study. That it's not only regarding spiritual blessings, but ones that you can physically touch as well. For example, the blessing is to be fruitful and multiply. That's a very tangible blessing. In this, we see mankind getting to grow, and we see longevity and generational longevity. We see fruitful harvests of crops. It's a tangible blessing. The sunshine, rain, all those things, um, again, that you often see and relegate to the, the Old Testament, but still obviously continue out today. You know, this um, is something that we're going to focus on. Osborne says that well, as we look at it this way, it is a view of a wholeness view of looking at things that we wholly get to enjoy God's blessing in the, both the physical and spiritual aspects of things. And he also says that this is what the word shalom is meant to convey. You all recognize that word shalom, peace. That's what the word is meant to convey, a wholeness and blessing. It means more than just peace. It is characteristic, he says, argues, it is characteristic of a blessed state. You wish that upon someone on other people. As you say, shalom, or as, as they said, shalom. God's people, being in right relationship with him, we come to know those physical realities of shalom. This blessed state. And it testifies to our unique status in Christ as well. The second use of blessing as an action that the author lists is God blesses people through other people. How many times... Have you desired and asked the Lord to help you to be a blessing to somebody? To truly want to be that to someone. Isn't it sweet when you get to actually see that happening? We can understand this in numerous contexts, just in our own lives. Even how our children and their presence is a blessing. The people that you love and care for being a blessing. You know, looking to scripture, we can see how God blesses through other people from a redemptive perspective. In the Old Testament, this form of blessing was mainly carried out by the priests and the prophets. In Deuteronomy 21 verse 5, it reads, Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come forward. For the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord and by their word every dispute and every assault shall be settled remembering also that narrative in numbers chapters 22 through 24 that we can see how God uses 
even people who are reluctant to bless God's people. God can, he, he directs the hearts of kings. He, people even who are reluctant to bless. So in that narrative in Numbers, we see the king of Moab, Balak, trying really hard to get Balaam, uh, the prophet, to curse God's people. Do you remember that? Go up to this mountain, go up to that one, you know, try this. You know, scripture testifies later how Balaam wanted in some way to be able to profit himself through the exchange somehow of being able to curse God's people. Because that's what Balak wanted. He wanted to pronounce curses upon them. But God used Balaam to bless Israel instead. In the study of God's use of other people to bless them, Osborne asks the questions, if someone is verbally blessed by another person, is God obligated to do something? Is there latent power in the words of the blessing that are being harnessed by a super spiritual person? Some latent power in someone who's just super spiritual. Does speaking something make it real? Those are important things to understand when you understand blessing from a biblical perspective. Good questions to ask. Definitely going to be answered differently across the spectrum of people who call themselves Christians. But as we remember the hermeneutical principle, there's only one correct interpretation of Scripture. May God help us to understand that more as we Dive into this. Now, Osborne, the author, he explains that some scholars have argued that this view of blessing and curses is rooted in an ancient worldview of magic and spells. This view of being able to speak something and make it real. You know, that there's some latent power in someone who's super spiritual. That it's the same context of a worldview of magic and spells where words are spoken and believed to have some operative force in the world. People do believe that. There is no denying that the ancient world, often magic-filled in its worldview, revealed in numerous ancient sources that this is the right perspective to have, that there is... You could do this, speak things into existence, even though they didn't have any success at it. Not unless there was some you know, devilish scheme behind it. But there's no reason at all to assume the Old Testament operates in the same fashion. No reason to understand that, even though they were in the same cultural contexts during that time. The Old Testament saints, the prophets, the priests, they had the they lived in that same culture. That same culture that um, was dominated by, quote, supernatural activity in some ways. Okay? At least that's how many understood it. But what made the ancient Israelites different than their pagan neighbors, even though the pagan neighbors had sacrifices to their gods, they had their rituals and ceremonies, but what 
made Israel different, God's people different, is the source of authority and power of divine blessing. Israel had the one true God. They were his people. That narrative account of Balaam and Balak, it reinforces the idea that all human beings have their source in God, not in some human-initiated incantation or self-fulfilled prophecy. God controls it, ultimately. And when people go off script and say things that are uh, abominable, there's, God is still in control. We understand these things. Now, the blessing in Israel was divine. It was theological. It was real. But again, it was a cultural one. And they had those society, societal norms that they lived within. They lived within a covenantal framework. That was a difference that, as we go through this study, that's going to be brought out and understood more clearly. And in that covenantal framework, there were blessings. But again, society at large, they also understood things similarly, even though they didn't understand it from a right biblical perspective. They had to deal with what we have to deal with in terms of people using the word blessing and I'm spiritual and I'm, I'm blessed and, and, and the like. Okay, so Israel was not trying to appease emotionally volatile gods in their worship. They weren't trying to convince their gods, the God, like the pagans were with their gods. They weren't trying to persuade them. And that is a very unique characteristic about Israel's religion that we're going to call out and understand more when we study this theme of blessing. We, the people of God in, in ancient Israel, they were actually called to imitate God and identify with him. You don't see that in the ancient religions, the pagan religions. Osborne, he notes that um, Israel's God was a blessing God, and we should not be surprised that the God who said, Be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy, that he calls his people to bless the world he created. We're also called to be a blessing in this world. And the means and the primary object for that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bringing that forward. Uh, we're going to get to that as well. Uh, how we go about doing that, blessing the world and its people, for Christians is very unique. That's one thing that will separate us in the context of blessing from our neighbors. Um, and we've got to be careful. We can't take on the form of uh, when you confess, you possess type idea. Whatever you, the, the, the word of faith mentality to blessings. We've got, we got to stay away from that as well. That's a false understanding of blessing. Something that we're going to dive into some more. You know, God is the source of power of all spoken blessings in the Bible. Words are important. They are a, a, a channel for the means of God's blessing. 
but they are not the source of blessing. That's something the Word of Faith movement has. Totally wrong. That they think the words are the source of power. But it's God who's the source of power. And he explains how that works in, his, in Scripture. The words are absolutely powerful. We went through James talking about the fiery tongue recently. The destruction that words can cause. Um, and, but words, we can be a blessing. We can encourage and lift up a struggling brother. We can give what Scripture calls an apt word. That word spoken that's simple and concise but has good timing as well. These are blessings and communicated through words. You know, what we say deeply affects those around us. So we can bless others with our grace-filled words. But it doesn't mean that our words d- deliver some ultimatum to God that he must perform them. Many times in Scripture when uh, the people of God assumed God's favor, assumed his blessing because of their covenant relationship with them, it didn't go very well because they weren't in a right relationship with him. Um, just think of the time, you know, when we went through Jeremiah. It wasn't too long ago when we went through Jeremiah. They thought they had the temple, so therefore they had God and the blessings and they couldn't be touched. And yet they were ransacked by the Babylonians. It didn't go well for them. People in the Bible ask for blessings from others, but one can only bless God or one can only bless others. You can't bless yourself. Simply believing that our words or the words of someone who's an authority or a leader, believing that they create a reality that God has promised without having scriptural support behind it, that is dangerous, it's foolish, it's it's presumptuous at the least. So... In the Old Testament, the content of blessing and that blessing that's spoken, it's very, it's very important to understand the context of things. But it's also very important, Osborne helps us to understand, is the significance of the person doing the blessing. Okay, The context is important, but it's also important is who's doing the blessing. We're going to learn about that as we walk through um, some of the characters in the Old Testament. Uh, Blessings, much like prayers, were given different weight based upon the person that was speaking them and and the context also and what was being said. Um, He gives a pretty good illustration here of um, like the words, I do. It means a lot more when it's said between two couples that are wearing, one wearing a tuxedo and wearing a white dress, than two couples sitting over a cup of coffee talking about their love, you know, in the coffee house. There, there's contexts that make things more important. We're going to understand that more as we go and, and, and understand the biblical view of blessing. It also speaks volumes of the sovereignty of God and, and the way he uses his servants. I think that's, we can see that in Jacob. When at the end of 
uh, near the end of Genesis where you see Jacob come in and bless Pharaoh. Jacob did the blessing. Here was this great and mighty king, and it was Jacob who blessed him. The significance of the person means something as well. Well, priests and prophets, they had that position. But so do parents. You know, there are other people of authority in our lives when they pronounce a blessing in some way. It can mean more than just the casual blessing. That's one of the points that he's going to help us to understand here and call out. Um, He's going to work it out. I don't have the total view on how he's going to work it out yet, but we're going to see it. Basically, God's desire to bless his people. He initiates the blessing. He puts those people in those places of authority. And gives them the context. All right. The third and final use of blessing um, is people bless God. All right. That's, this is a rather short section here in his introduction. Uh, it's primarily seen in the worship literature of the Psalms. Uh, that the language of blessing gets redirected from people back to God. Again, blessing his name, praising him. Um, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And Psalm 145, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. We're going to get to do that in song here in just a little bit. Now, God's people not only actively bless him through praise, but they also declare him as the one who is blessed and should be blessed. Remembering what he's done time and again, we read of God in the Old Testament telling his people to remember. Remember. To remember what God has done. This should elicit blessing in the form of speaking and singing praise to God. Now, he's the one who's worthy of all blessing. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. You know, there, the fun is yet to come as we go through these. Uh, there's five chapters here that we're going to walk through. Um, here, the author has told us these laid a groundwork he said it was necessary for us to understand as we go in and study these, these sections and these chapters um, in developing this biblical theology of blessing. Again, those blessing as an action. God blesses creation and humanity. He's the one who acts. God blesses people through other people, and then people bless God. These actions associated with blessing. Now, next week... Brother Clary is going to lead us and teach us, uh, and it's going to start off in Genesis. And and truly, you know, both I can think I speak for Stephen as well. We do desire that this study is going to be an encouragement um, to your faith, and, and bolden it, and and truly understand how blessed we are.